Hey everyone, this is CK. Uh, Maddie B and I just wanted to come to you today to discuss some of the recent events regarding Wall Street bets and everything happening in the market and quite frankly, society today. Uh, I think Matt and I both would say that this is an episode that we think is much bigger than just one individual event. And I would encourage you to take the time to listen to the whole thing. We touch everything from just some basic market fundamentals to set the foundation to everything that's happened in the current events with Wall Street bets. But we even bring it all together. Um, believe it or not, we connect Wall Street bets to Black Lives Matter, the capital insurrection, and the future that we see for Bitcoin. Now, if you have the time, we encourage you to listen to the whole thing. But if you can't, we strongly encourage you to listen to the final 15 minutes. But if you have the patience, it's worth the wait. Thank you. Welcome back to another episode of AST. Thank you for tuning in. It is the end of the first month of 2021 and a lot has happened. So I wanted to uh, go over a couple fundamentals and I think the better person for the job uh, to explain that is CK. So CK, take it away. All right. Uh, so basically what we just saw this last week is not normal in case anyone was wondering. And if you don't know what I'm referring to, um, I'm referring to the whole debacle with Wall Street bets basically uh, taking on the hedge funds and everything that went on surrounding that. So I figured uh, the best way to start, just so we can kind of set the tone for the rest of this conversation, is one, give a quick background of the events that transpired, and then just walk through some basic fundamentals like Matt mentioned so that we kind of have a foundation to go off of when we start referencing things. <clears throat> so what happened? First, uh, a Reddit group essentially identified a way that they could beat hedge funds. They did this because company uh, Melvin Capital posts all of the stocks that they short in a quarterly report. And a Reddit user on Wall Street Bets posted it and said, hey, there's a lot of short interest on GameStop, which means that they're betting against the company. And they figured, well, one way to kind of get back at these hedge funds or to make them lose is to drive the price of this stock up. This post essentially went viral to the point where um, the stock for GameStop and many other um, short interest stocks were through the roof, essentially. I think GameStop hit like $420 per share at some point and initially started at like $4 a share before this whole thing. So insane increases. This ultimately led many of the exchanges to be shut down um, for reasons which we'll be discussing later. Um, and there was just a, a lot of controversy in the media between, you know, should they be allowed to do this? Um, you know, should exchanges be allowed to do this? Should retail investors be allowed to do this? And, um, you know, what is right? What is wrong? And so we just kind of want to discuss that. But before we dive into that, I feel like we kind of need to do somewhat of a financial crash course on the current situation because I'm not sure how many people are really well versed in what is actually going on they might think they do but that's just because they are seeing headlines but they're not actually paying attention to the fundamentals that underlie it and why the price is going up and why this is a big deal and why we probably haven't even seen the full effect of what's about to take place um, in my opinion so first and foremost what does it mean to short a stock um essentially it's betting against a stock you predict that it will go down 
And what that means is you essentially borrow a stock or multiple stocks from someone because you think it's going to drop in price. You borrow it at essentially no cost. You just borrow it. And then you go and you take that and you sell it to someone else. And at a later date, once that price has dropped, usually the, the date is predetermined, you can then buy back that share and it's worth less. You don't even buy it back, sorry. You, you receive it back in return. And then you go and exchange it to the person who initially borrowed it to you, but it is worth less. And they have to pay you the difference, essentially from what it was worth, let's say it was at $100 and now it's $50. They have to pay you $50 in return because that's the difference of what it went down. So you make money off of essentially not having to, to pay anything in the first place. Okay. So all of these hedge funds um, were betting against the stock. And the key difference between shorting a stock and going long on a stock or betting in favor of a stock is that you can, if you are betting for a stock, you can only lose pretty much as much as you bet or you place. Correct. Because it can only go to zero. And once it goes to zero, those are your losses. Game over. However, when you short a stock, theoretically, your losses or the potential loss is infinite because there is no price ceiling, theoretically. And so now that brings us to the question of, what is a short squeeze? A short squeeze essentially occurs when a stock um, jumps sharply higher than it was anticipated. And this forces all of the traders who had a short position on a stock. Remember, they borrowed it out. They, 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 they were borrowing it and they gave it to someone else. They have to now go buy it. And they have to buy it at a very high price. Usually, things go up in price when many people are buying them or holding them. So there's more scarcity in the market, but it's driving this price up and there is literally not enough liquidity in the market or shares available for them to actually purchase it. And this then causes the price to continue to go up and their losses are magnified as those that price goes up, okay? Um, another concept that just the last one that I want to kind of foreshadow is liquidity and liquidity is by definition, the availability of an asset in the market or otherwise known as the total market activity. So how many shares are trading hands, um, on any given day? What's the volume? You know, how many people are buying, how many people are selling? If you want to sell, is it easy to find someone who's willing to buy? If you want to buy, is it easy to find someone who's willing to sell? And we are essentially in the process right now of there not being enough shares for these hedge funds to buy. Because what these people on Wall Street bets have are called diamond hands. And they do not want to let go of these shares. And like I said, there is an expiration date on a lot of this, um, these short um, these short interest like positions that these hedge funds have, and we have not reached the expiration date yet. So we're probably likely to see, um, uh, essentially, in my opinion, a, a mooning of these stocks 
in the coming week or weeks. So just wanted to give a quick crash course before we dive deep. Thank you for hanging in there. Um, so Maddie B, where, where do we go from here now that we kind of laid the, laid the foundation for everyone? I think we transition on now that you know what is happening. The reason why it's a squeeze is because you're squeezing the short positioners, which the price must go higher to hopefully allow more liquidity because the people with diamond hands theoretically should have a price in which to it, sell. Everyone's got a price that they're willing to sell at, you know, because it's just quote unquote too good. Except for there's like a moral stance on this one now. Exactly. And and this is, uh, we'll dive in this a little bit later, but like you look at something like, uh, I don't know if you know or familiar with Occupy Wall Street, but I think this was post or maybe mid financial crisis when all the banks got bailed out and everyone was um, really frustrated because the banks, they were the ones that screwed up, but they didn't have to pay any price really. Some of them went bankrupt and um, whatnot. And but that was a liquidity crisis, right? And, yeah. and in, in, in order to solve that, the Federal Reserve had to inject liquidity and the beneficiaries were not regular people. No, it was the banks. And so Occupy Wall Street was a movement coming out of that that essentially was anti- um, Wall Street, anti-bankers, anti-hedge fund, whatever you want to call it. It was anti, you know, big finance and finance establishment, yeah, fin finance sure. establishment. Yes, yes. And what we're seeing now is Occupy, uh, you know, was not effective. In my opinion, it didn't necessarily do much to change. It got the conversation going. It exposed a lot of corruption. So it definitely did some good, but it didn't like bring the system down. Like I think it was set out to. And I think that, you know, standing up and protesting is one thing. And if that's your thing, fine, by all means, go out and do it. But I think these people, this is kind of a, the downstream effect of people who, you know, many of which probably watch their family members, you know, parents, relatives, friends, get screwed over in 07, 08, 09. And they figured we might as well hit them where it hurts and we might beat them at their own game. This is a group of people who grew up on the Internet. They grew up playing video games. This is that to them. This isn't, you know, that they, they have access to do all the things that these, you know, finance institutions can do, but just at the palm of their hands. So let's talk about the progression that's happened since um, Occupy Wall Street came about, because a lot has happened in capabilities of individual people through the internet and through applications on your mobile device and. Theoretically, it was stated that that would democratize trading and allow for retail investors to have access to a lot of the same opportunities, tools, and um, the market in a way more democratized fashion. We are seeing that that may have been a false promise, um, and I suppose we should probably talk about that because that is related to opinions on what is right and what is wrong with this situation. And, you know, I, I think inevitably, you know, protests just didn't work, right? And I think that many people forget that our world is based on money. And what is happening is we, they are influencing the money of the people that they were protesting against. And that is starting to cause far more uh, controversy problems 
and opinions versus just protesting and making a voice yeah, heard. They're, they're they're hitting them where it hurts exactly. and they're beating them exactly. at, they're beating them at their own game. And and this really is a game and I think this is Absolutely. A, this, this, this is a good transition to the fact that there's a lot of conversation right now going on about so let's let's just take a step back cuz we're assuming that people know a lot more than about the situation than they maybe do. Maybe they got wrapped up with work this week, heard a couple things about it but don't know the details this community has basically grown from like a couple hundred thousand or like a, a million people a couple of weeks ago to i think the last time we checked it was over seven million and at this rate that it started increasing over the last week or so it's gonna hit um 10 million users within the next day and a half so that means by market open on february 1st there'll be about 10 million people with about $5,000 average buying power to their person per person to go inject into the market. Now, so what they've done is they've used this hive mind of the internet to put their money strategically into, you know, one or a few places, thus driving the price up. And they've done this, like, like we said, to kind of force a short squeeze, which ultimately drives the price higher. But what we haven't acknowledged yet is that these hedge funds that they're going up against, whose tactics were very irresponsible leading up to this point, they've been doing this for many years. They've been using what the system allows them to do, honestly, to their advantage. They have had what people call idea dinners, and they get together and they say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about putting my money here. And other people also think it would be good to put their money there. But, you know, these aren't just like average people talking about a couple thousand dollars. We are talking about people who manage billions with a B, billions of dollars. Not just one, but multiple people managing multiple billions of dollars. And when you have that type of buying power, you can literally move markets. And it's not that difficult to play that game when it only takes the power of a couple of people. However, it is significantly more different, especially given the state of our country and our world right now and how divisive things seem to be. It is magnificent that we could get millions, I shouldn't say we, but like that Wall Street bets could organize millions of people to put their money in the same place for the strict cause of making money and beating these hedge funds. And there's people with probably mixed bags of intentions of why they're doing it, but the sheer ability to organize like that is and play this game is amazing. And the fact that people are criticizing it while hedge funds have done this for decades a long long time man and you know what is also maybe not uh interpreted or seen as the way i'm about to explain it is that the important people at these idea dinners that control multiple billions of dollars and if you combine that with leverage and 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 the right what's leverage well it's kind of the same thing i'll I'll break it down into a can i just make it simple go ahead i was about to but yeah i'll make it simple go 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 Here's the deal. If you put money in your bank, 
the bank only holds on to 10 cents of every dollar. They get to then lend out and make money on the other 90 cents, therefore applying leverage to be able to make more money. Yes. And when you're talking about the stock market, leverage is basically saying, I have $10, but I'm going to use leverage to basically have $100. And you can use, you're borrowing that extra $90. To put it into place right now. Which, and it might not work out in your favor. Exactly. So, so, so they might been using owe uh, more money than they really had originally in liquid. Um, Back to the idea dinners and using leverage, sorry. Yeah, so these, these people are often featured on platforms that are basically television platforms because that's uh, innately where they go to. And when you're talking about doing the opposite of talking about putting your money into a certain place and you might be hoping a company goes down because you're heavily invested in a short position and you have the ability to make claims and, and say things on a large, broad scale audience, just simply being someone of that nature can then also turn the confidence of the market in your favor. Can I? Can I give an example of this? Absolutely. So, and this unfortunately is an investor that I, I admire. He's, um, his name's Bill Ackman. He's had tons of great short takes on companies. Short sellers used to start out as people who investigated companies, found out inefficiencies or areas where they were committing fraud or lying, and they would expose that. That used to be like, the, the good side of being a short seller, but it's kind of lost its initial integrity. Um, anyways, he's had many good plays, but one which I'm is, is, is somewhat questionable is um, right before COVID started, um, Bill Ackman went out and he placed a, I think 200 or no, maybe it was $20 million short bet basically on the market. It was either 20 or 200 million. And then he went on CNBC and he basically said, the sky is falling this is like going to be the worst thing that we've ever seen. I remember watching this. He said, he said, we aren't going to know if we're going to have food. Supply chains are going to be shut down. We might, we might have to stock up. You know, he is part of the reason, arguably, why toilet paper was sold out in so many places in this country. Because the, the message that he went on there on like a, a multi-minute segment on CNBC and talking about how scary it was going to be it caused the market to absolutely get obliterated. Many people probably remember when that happened in March, that first initial tank. Some would argue that Bill Ackman um, contributed to that. And because he took a short position on the market, he was then able to, before he went on to CNBC, by the way, yes. he did this, he placed that position. He walked away $2 billion richer because of this. Yes. So that is one example. Sorry for the long kind of tangent there, but one example of what you're explaining, right? Yeah, and and it's 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 true. And it is because uh, a platform of authority and delivered by a man who has had a history of success. So that message then is often repeated on all the other ancillary platforms because that's just human nature. And it actually does make a significant difference in uh, human behavior, which is oftentimes the result of not necessarily what's going on, but just what people tell you is going on. And so um, I don't know where we left off on the Wall Street bets. 
we're talking about the games, right? That these yes. hedge funds play yes. and that they've been playing this game for so long. So how is this different or is it not different from Wall Street bets and what they did? Because it sounds really similar. I'll, I'll tell you how it's different. Okay. Sure. I think, and I'm going to go back to how magnificent this is, is you do, they didn't need a bunch of billionaires who are maybe either funding media organizations. And I try not to be a conspiracy theorist. Let me just throw that out there as a disclaimer. I mean, but the fact of the matter is, like Matt mentioned earlier, money is power. And if you have money and you can fund things and you have connections and people will listen to you, you can get people's ear. You can sway opinion. There's a lot of things that come with that. And so if you're able to ha- be tapped into the right channels to convince enough people of one thing, you can you can really move markets. But that's that's only with the condition that, you know, you are a single or just a few individuals with billions of dollars. We're talking about millions of people with thousands of dollars that are all like they're not colluding because they're not. They're not. But they're what they're doing is, is they're putting their effort, their collective effort into one place. And I think it's also just, you know, it's interesting to me that a lot of these companies like AMC or GameStop, like these are the nostalgic companies that I mean, I don't know about you. I every November would walk into a GameStop and go buy a Call of Duty, right? Yep. And Because it's just simply way easier to do that than going to Best Buy, by the way. It's a little specialty it, shop. You're in and out, boom, bam. Exactly. And it was just like the line was there, and it was it was fun. There was hype around it. And and it's interesting that, you know, this now this online community, many of these people, I would assume, have had similar experiences. They're going after the, the stocks that arguably their business model is not set up for success in the near term. I don't know what their long-term plans are, but they're not doing so hot with COVID. Let's just be honest. And with a lot of other technological advancements. Well, an AMC is a direct result from regulation. I mean, it is. Yeah. Yeah. GameStop Um, might not be, but yeah, but, but, but either way, like it's just amazing to me that they're able to do this without the concentrated power and resource and, that hedge funds have. And and to put like another thing into perspective, okay, 10 million people, $5,000 each buying power started off much smaller. They were able to uh, collectively come together based on a thesis that was presented that was actually super detailed. And so it made a lot of fundamental sense as an investing move. Uh, that then triggered interest and attention. And then even though you might not have proof of it there is probably large money that followed into this GameStop situation with options which is the opposite of uh, short basically and that then even gave them more uh, momentum and 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 power in the situation so keep in mind these people that have made a lot of money doing this they're still not selling which is even more fascinating to even get these amount of people to interact on a forum and then not take the profit when it is literally sitting at their fingertips and the diamond hands won't break. It's because they are. So someone said, I saw a post this morning on uh, social media. I was checking it and someone said, you know, it's interesting to me how people can be convinced to, spend $100,000 on education, but can't invest $1,000 in the stock market. And I rep- I never reply to any post, ever. I replied to this one. And I said, the reason should be obvious because people have been 
convinced and told a lie their entire life that they aren't equipped with the skills needed to invest in the market and that if they do, they will lose. That is a lie and Wall Street Bets has proven that that is a lie. The internet has made access to any type of information possible and I'm not saying, I in previous podcasts, I had said that I think it's kind of like foolish and people just go in there and throw their money around. I was wrong. I This whole week had put it into perspective for me and I, I kind of was with you like waffling on my statement the last podcast and you're talking about it kind of catching myself and really analyzing it and i think you know the process of reflecting on that plus everything that happened this week made me realize that like it's you don't need to be an expert it's about freedom and it's about control and it's about not having to be told what to do or allowing someone else to do something for you it's I don't know. It's it's so interesting that that these this group of people had the savvy to kind of go find out what companies were most heavily shorted. And oh yeah, can we also acknowledge the fact that not only is this stock like heavily shorted, these companies are more short on it to the point that like they're short more shares on it than shares exist. There's like 151% short interest. Which is up from the 120% originally when this started ta- when this started being talked about, actually. Yes. Yeah, so I, I believe um, if the data that we're seeing is correct is that hedge funds, or assuming hedge funds, but just short interest in general, is higher now than it was when this whole thing began. Which means fewer people have closed out of their short positions on a net basis. Um, and it's reported that one company, Melvin Capital... Actually, they, they needed a $2.7 billion cash infusion into their business to cover their losses because they were one of the companies that was so irresponsibly long, or I mean, sorry, short on GameStop. Um, they closed out of their position, but allegedly, and they lost so much money, but had to get money from Citadel and Point72. Yeah, and so, you know, going back to... Uh, the statement of freedom and control and individual capabilities and access to information is interesting because (laughs) a lot of the money that ended up in the market was from stimulus. I think it's a common consensus and agreement on that subject. And then on top of it, you have uh, intelligent people on these forums. And then on top of it, you may have people that are capable but are not experienced in the industry yet with eight hours a day sitting at their house, which is equal to a full-time job. And if you know anything about uh, getting ahead in life or being obsessed with something, you know, when you're into it, sometimes a work day can be 12 or 16 hours. So you're now kind of in an environment where arguably this activity for a regular individual is now more than a full-time job. So now the playing field is equalized based on time consumption allocated to the activity where I actually do agree. If you are super busy, you might not be able to actively participate in the markets as well because it's a simple time constraint. Well, in, in the one thing too, I will say is, you know, you mentioned like the time on your hands to then be able to learn about these things one thing that i find so fascinating right now is that even people who have been investing and participating in the market for their entire career like people who do this for a living 
they still don't have an answer to what the hell is going on in the market right now. And which means that experience isn't giving you the answers. The learning curve is flattening, you know, you can, and so that eight hours a day, you know, before, if you needed 4,000 hours to become an expert, you might only need a thousand now, you know, maybe not be an expert, but I mean, you, you don't need as much time put in there and you have access to the tools that people didn't have you know, I'd probably say 10 years ago. And, and it's because they became cheaper, right? Like you can, you still have to pay for some of the ones that are, I would personally use, but you're talking about a cost that an individual can bear. And let's, let's talk about something like Robinhood, which is a very popular app, which was at the heart of a lot of this controversy. Um, Robinhood started out, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago. Could be more. Apologies if I'm wrong on that. And it was one of the first mobile first platforms. So on your phone, that was completely free. And it's like, wow, like free trades. Well, as we know with companies like Facebook and whatnot, free doesn't always necessarily mean free. Free doesn't mean no cost. It just might not be in the form of dollars. Exactly. Um, And so I think, Matt, it might be valuable to dive a little bit into because Robinhood, for those of you who aren't aware, they shut down trading. Um, and to be to be fair, they weren't the only ones, but they were definitely the first ones. They were, and they were, they are a kind of a hotspot for a lot of the users for Wall Street bets. Many of them were using Robinhood because it is mobile first. It's so easy. You download with the click of a button. It's, it's simple. It's, it's, Functionality, it's simple. It's so easy. And it, it, it basically gamified investing. It really did. And um, so because they have strong network effects and a lot of people use that app, that's why it was such a big deal. And and Robin Hood, the, the name the Robin name. Hood. The name Robin Hood is kind of like you're you know, f- democratizing finance and you're giving access to the people. But when push came to shove, they were the first ones to turn their backs on the people that their mission was supposedly about. And now I think we should, before we start making accusations, we should talk about the possibilities and at least acknowledge why they're saying they did it. This goes back to incentive. So let's lay it out. Yeah. Um, what is the relationship between Citadel, who has a huge ass short position, and Robinhood? Yeah. So I think it's important that we just like, lay out Robin Hood's business model, not in its entirety, but just like how they make money. Yeah, sure. Because the app is free. So there's a free in terms of you don't have to pay on a per trade basis. You can trade money freely. And many people who use it might not realize that at one point in time, you had to pay like 7% or something to get those trades to execute. And, and, and you keep in mind, since then, you know, most people have followed. So free commission trading is pretty much the way it is now. But what does that mean? Companies have to pay their bills. They have to make revenue somewhere. And so what does that look like from a business model that Robinhood pretty much pioneered that really everyone did follow, or at least most of the uh, trading exchanges? Yeah, so... Essentially, um, Robinhood can make money by either lending people cash, so like margin trades, which we kind of described earlier on the concept of leverage. Um, The second way is they have a premium app, um, and then they also have, 
um, like loans for investing um, or as well. Sorry. So they can, they can lend out the cash, sorry, lend out the cash that it's in people's account. And that's separate from like the margin. That's like the one end of the margin trade. They're lending it out. They're acting like a bank. It's like the same thing with your deposits yes. that you have in your and, savings account. And, and then the other side is they, they make money on the interest from that margin Correct. as well. Um, but where literally 50% of their business comes from, 50% of the revenue, 50% of the revenue, sorry. 50% of their revenue comes from routing trades to electronic trading firms. For example, Citadel. And Citadel is also at the heart of a lot of this controversy because they, not only as Robin, one of Robinhood's biggest customers, but also one of Robinhood's biggest investors. They are also a company that just injected billions of dollars into Melvin Capital, which is a company that had a very big short position on GameStop, as we mentioned earlier. And it is assumed that because there is so much short interest on GameStop that many hedge funds are short GameStop. Um, so back to kind of why making how they make money from Citadel, okay? And this all relates to, you'll, you'll see, it relates to the game. So Robin Hood is just an intermediary. If I say I want to buy Tesla or GameStop stock, Robinhood says, great. This all happens very quickly, obviously, because nobody realizes really that it's happening. They don't see it. Robinhood then says, hey, Citadel, I have, you know, Connor as a user and, you know, 500 other users that want to buy one share of Tesla. They combine that, they put it in bulk, and then they send it to Citadel, and Citadel will execute that trade for them and buy it. And then Citadel actually pays Robinhood for routing that trade through them. And so it's very interesting because everything comes down to data and where people are buying it in the stock market. There's a lot of data involved in the stock market. And think about it. If you can know where money is going to go before it goes there, you can put your money there first to front, what they call front run an investment that you know is going to go up. This is completely legal. But these hedge funds, presumably, this is not trying to accuse anyone, have been front running these trades for many years to make money on the retail investors. You combine that with the type of control that they have in the media and you compound the impact that they have. And so this all goes back to the game that these hedge funds have been playing. Now, once these traders on Robinhood started winning, the hedge funds, well, I should say the hedge funds, Robinhood decided to say, nope, we can't trade anymore. They shut down trading activity on all of these meme stocks. What the heck is that, man? Like, that is a bunch of bullshit, and it, there is an interview on one of the networks from the CEO of Robinhood, and it was almost the most embarrassing thing I've seen on public television because the conversation and the dialect literally 
was so worthless and there was nothing answered and he did not have to provide any legitimacy to his actions at all. And there was no legitimate reason why he could state on why that happened. We're going to find out if it is illegal or if anything transpires from that. But, you know, the concept of our country is built on the idea that in a free market, there is the ability to buy goods. There is not discrimination in that category. And if you take a look at that, what he reiterated was that there was thousands of other stocks to buy on the platform when that literally is not the topic of conversation. It's fucking irrelevant. And so I was amazed that he was actually able to sit there and talk about nothing. Yeah. And like, (laughs) it's, it's the talking points that I think people were able to get away with for so long yes and you can do it when it's a two minute three minute you know five minute interview on cnbc that's fine but let's be honest the way people consume content in 2021 and as they have been for the last couple of years is long form podcast content or news articles if you really want to get to the details nobody's buying what this guy said because all the other signs point elsewhere. Now, I do want to take a quick like step back and think about this from like a liquidity standpoint is because Robinhood doesn't own any of those shares, there is an argument, and I think he did allude to this in his interview, because w- nobody knows the, tr- the truth yet, except for him and the people operating Robinhood. Yeah. They were there. And, you know, who knows who they got calls from and what they asked them to do. It's all speculation, but it seems like pretty, pretty suspicious and pretty obvious what probably happened. But to give them a fair chance, what also could happen is that because there's a liquidity issue, which there's not a lot of supply available for these stocks, people with these diamond hands, like we said, um, are holding and there's and a limited number of shares, right? That's why there's a liquidity crisis, because if nobody wants to sell them, there's none to buy. Exactly, which is what's driving this price up. And there's, there's caused a lot of hype online. And a lot of people, you probably know many people, who've gotten in on this stock when it's, it's irresponsibly high. But, I mean, it could go higher. So they want to get in. And the problem is, is that if you see the price of, uh, let's just throw out a number, arbitrary number, $100, and you, a lot of people aren't using like limit orders and not going to dive into what that is. But when you just buy it at the, at the market price, it, you are obligated to pay the market price until that trade is executed. And unless it goes over to a point where you don't have sufficient funds in your account and it doesn't get executed or, um, you know, whatever, you, you basically have to buy it at whatever it executes at. Correct. So if you click on it and it says a hundred dollars it might not get filled until it's 150 and depending on how much money you're playing with that's a pretty big difference in what you were expecting to pay yeah because if you're buying 150 shares it's a 50 percent increase on that money yes and so who knows um maybe robin had had an issue because they didn't have access to the shares or they couldn't get access to it i don't know and if they're getting it from a place like citadel 
Um, Citadel is probably trying to um, COA, you know, cover their own ass. Yeah. Um, I I don't know, but it's it's possible that maybe Robinhood just was looking out for their customers. But if that's the case, my gosh, like please be a little bit more transparent. Agreed. And, and don't go to CNBC. Nobody nobody's gonna believe you if that's how you're reaching the masses go on twitter go live yourself like be a freaking real human being not just this fake ceo that you've turned into like these guys i'm sure they started out as really good people i don't know maybe they didn't but i mean i think they did the premise of the application uh was great i think the revenue generation activities may have not been thought through till uh companies get a little large it's a very common in a startup right they start with a problem solving activity and then you eventually have to make money off it otherwise you go to business yeah um but the caveat to that is that although i don't believe uh many people on cnbc Many people believe a lot of things on a lot of mainstream networks, and it's and it's no fault of their own. It is a saturation. It is comfortability. It is habit. But I am glad that there are courageous people such as Chamath that are invited on CNBC because they are still after ratings, right? They need eyeballs and viewers, and and there are still some people on there. Even Mark Cuban. There is there is definitely some people on there after the fact that really was like, yeah you're full of shit and I'm going to do my best to make this as simple as possible because if these guests deviate from simplicity, the interviewee will twist the story on them. You saw that actually with the Winklevoss uh, interview recently. Unfortunately, that man got eaten alive actually. And you, so you got to be very careful, very intelligent in order to be the guy on those channels that is invited without getting cut because they will cut you. Yeah. And whether cutting means not letting you appear anymore or destroying you on the spot, it really depends on the situation. But like, I think simplicity is the key right now because one of the, one of the other main reasons why like the industry of finance had this kind of like intimidation factor to it is one, there's a lot of money and a lot of power involved, but two, just a language barrier. It yeah. is literally a foreign language and it takes a while to get comfortable in there. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not normal to want to just start speaking a new language. So it's kind of like what it is. And there's so much unnecessary jargon and complexities that like, if you can just explain it to people, yes, you can get them to the complexities later on. They exist. They're there for a reason. Um, but there's also some unnecessary jargon that's been created just to create a barrier of entry. Yeah. In my opinion. And a barrier of uh, self-confidence and conviction in your decisions. Oh, absolutely. Convince yourself that you're smarter than you really are or something just because you use a a word like leverage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just meant in the fact that if you create complexities and you establish uh, those as a barrier of entry, the likelihood that somebody is going to uh, have somebody else manage their money or uh, participate in these markets on their behalf is higher. That's the way it's always been done. I, I just think it's a principle that is transitioning into uh the ability to do many things yourself. And that's just like a, 
technological advancement and information advancement. And as long as you put in the time, like you have a very fair fighting chance of being able to do a lot of things yourself. And, you know, that's not to say that there isn't a bunch of ignorant people going to lose money in the market every single day, but it is still a game and it is still rep- the game represents risks and the only way to really have a game that I think is worth playing is when those risks are unanimous between the players. Yeah. And there will always be advantages and disadvantages. Like that's not the point of the free market in my opinion. Um, so you have to just learn to work with the rules, but if the rules are being manipulated, hypothetically, the direct cause from the reaction or action of Robinhood in suspending the buying, not selling, they didn't suspend selling, they suspended buying. So how is the stock supposed to do anything but go down? Which further kind of makes you wonder what happened because if there was a technological issue or, or, or a company issue outside of liquidity and some more complicated factors, it would seem highly convenient that the intervention was only really designed to make the stock move one way. Well, and the fact that, like, just to be clear, Robinhood was not the only platform that no. did this. This was there were multiple platforms, um, some of which walked back their actions pretty staunchly, like very, very, very quickly. Um, but you know, it it seems it, it's got the kind of smell of a coordinated effort. It really does um, to try and kind of mitigate. The, the the potential losses that these you know powerful groups were facing who knows that's all speculation but the one thing i do know is that this whole situation is even before robin hood and everyone started shutting it down but even more so after that it makes the case for decentralization yes and 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 i also think that like technology um inherently is supposed to be deflationary and I think one thing I'm starting to realize is I wasn't convinced that it was deflationary for a while because it didn't seem like prices were going down before my eyes. That mean that's true. It's not. But I think if anything, it's 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 not just like making things cheaper across the board. It's literally eliminating categories. Like that is what technology is doing, and in a sense, that is what is deflationary about it. And that's hence kind of like the whole point of disruption. But I think decentralization and democratization, you know, it's it's eliminating the need to have a trusted third party. You you no longer need a trusted advisor all the time. You now need um, essentially like yourself and your phone. And that's that's it. And maybe a community forum to bounce ideas off of. Exactly. And that's the most decentralized way of it, too, because I don't know. I mean, I'm, I've been on Reddit for a, a little while, but not an active user in, until the last like week or so. I don't think I've ever seen someone with like their first and last name and a picture of themselves. It is pretty much all pseudonymous. And the fact that people are able to do that and trust those things, that's about as decentralized as it gets. 
It is, dude. And those are based on choices, right? Like if you get into the decentralization of DeFi and the blockchain protocols, right? That's not that's not really a protocol. It's not an individual. So the fact that this decentralized platform can do that with freedom of choice is like pretty far out. Like oh. that's pretty far out. It's pretty nuts. It's it's like I said before, and I, I use this word and I use it in its literal sense. It's magnificent. It really is. And, and you know, it's, it's funny because you talk about liquidity, which directly relates to scarcity, right? And so our Federal Reserve is in charge with employment, stable prices. They have a pretty strict mission on that, right? But the way that they do that is they uh, have mechanisms to control uh, liquidity uh, to increase or decrease it. And it gets it gets complicated, right? But the same reason why the scarcity of shares created the short squeeze is another way to jump to maybe grasping what the scarcity of Bitcoin is on a decentralized network and why it is becoming more popular to look into per se, right? Like many people don't own it. But many people are looking at those avenues and making the connected dots of why it seems to have significant value because of the problems with centralization that we currently have, which is pretty much everything the old system was built on. Yeah, it's well, it's centralization requires some level of trust in the system or in whatever things are centralized to. And, and I'll just give like a couple of random examples. Um, one, you, you have centralized authority and power within Twitter, which is centralizing the authority to choose who does and doesn't have a voice. You are centralizing power within your bank and within the government that a dollar will be there when you want to take it out and withdraw it and that a dollar is worth what it is supposed to be or what it was yesterday. You're trusting those people with that. You are trusting the government with having a, you know, successful and like high quality election process. You are trusting people with all of these different things. And the fact of the matter is People are starting to, and I say this without being a conspiracy theorist, people are starting to wake up. People are realizing that the guise of expert or whatever initials you want to put before someone's name, they don't really mean as much. They still mean something, but not as much as people thought they used to mean. There's not as much trust and confidence in them. And so people are looking for alternative measures. People sometimes take very drastic physical measures or people take virtual measures and they just take matters into their own hands. We've seen this across society over the last you know, multiple years. It's probably been even a decade now um, in some form or fashion going all the way back to, to Occupy Wall Street. This really does much of the stems from the financial crisis and Bitcoin, blockchain, decentralized finance, you can do not everything, but many of the things that you can do in traditional financial markets 
without needing a trusted intermediary. And that is a very exciting future. Yeah, and I and I think it is the future. I think that there is always a slowness to the future coming. But if I had to take a guess, the future is going to start to come a little faster than it did in the years prior. And, you know, that is because of exponential growth. Um, that is because of the deflationary nature of technology. It's hard to see when you're busy and doing everything and your iPhone costs $1,200. But, you know, that is still deflationary. The price might not reflect it, but the functionality that you get for that price is 100% cheap as fuck. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yes. Like, and I'm sorry, but that's the best way to explain yes. it. Yes. And, like, let's just break it down for all of the things that you can do on your iPhone that you used to need to do something else. For just a calculator. Calculator is like 10, 10, 15 bucks. I don't know. Like go to Office Depot, you had to buy one. Okay, deduct that. So what do you at? Eleven eighty five. Well, now you don't need to pay your stockbroker or your financial advisor fees anymore on every trade or every year, depending on how the fees are structured. I don't know. Let's take off 500 bucks there. That's just an average cost. Well, now what are we sitting at? Like 600 bucks? Do the math, people. Yep. <laughs> this is amazing. And, and time, efficiency, I like all of the I was just going to say time, bro, like, because that is measured different for every person based on how much you earn per hour of your day. And your job can be extrapolated on a 24-hour cycle. Think about like gas, right? Like driving to and from work. You don't, I mean, some people choose to, but you don't need to do that anymore. If you have internet and in a phone or I'm saying many people, I'm not saying everyone. There are some jobs require in-person interaction. That's not what I'm saying. But like we have realized this just over the last year. This technology has been around for quite a while, but adoption was pretty slow. And I think that, you know, COVID increased the adoption of remote work and many other technological kind of adoptions by about five to 10 years. Um, And I think that this whole shutdown with Robinhood has increased the transition to decentralized finance by probably five or 10 years. And it's only just a matter of like one other occurrence to fully push things over the edge. It definitely has the potential. I mean, if, if, if the government starts saying or some, or some regulatory body says, retail investors can no longer trade they're gonna move they're going to move somewhere else and where 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 else are they gonna go man like and the thing is is that at that point it won't just be a rebellion against like the market it will straight up be a rebellion against the dollar yeah uh i think i agree with that i mean and, and it's once people already wake up to the fact that like a dollar is basically or a Bitcoin is basically a short position on the dollar. Can I give you an example of what the dollar has done in, uh, the please. La- okay. So 1971, it used to be able to exchange an ounce of gold for 15 bucks or vice versa. That was suspended. If you were to, uh, take that same one ounce of gold today, ignore the market fluctuations, but it's about $2,000. If you were to hang on to that $15 and just have the $15, it would be worth 15 cents. Yeah. And that's only since basically 1971. Yep. And so what is the disguise that is uh, 
been perpetuated in perpetuity is that our dollar is the gold standard and it all and it's just not it's just not (laughs) Well, like, it and, never and, was. Well, it's funny that you. Well, it's funny that you say that because at one point it okay. was. Yes, you're but, right. But you're so, right. I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. I think I think it's funny that you know you, you use that right. Like it never was in my lifetime. Right. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. Of course, not mine either. Um, but like, it's it, an, it poses major problems, right? And and the mechanisms to support the problems have worked in the past, and there also just simply wasn't alternative options. Well, but the problem is, is that the mechanisms that allow it to keep working, it's fine, but working is a very vague term because working by your definition right now is really just... I didn't mean working for everybody. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Working is ensuring it doesn't fail and in failing at scale. But the problem is, is that the majority of the money is concentrated in like one place. Meanwhile, there are many smaller pockets of failure all around and failure maybe to not even your own fault yeah and and it it again goes back to incentivization right because you're incentivized to spend your dollar now because your savings rate is virtually nothing and that is necessary to keep the game going that we currently play and if you don't know this information in the game that is being played um, and you don't know how to basically jump on the incentive train that's going in the direction you want to go, you get left behind. But it isn't maybe intentionally made complicated that uh, the billions of dollars that rich people, you, you always say, oh, they're worth however many billions of dollars. Well, they're worth their assets that keep growing. They're not really worth any dollars. Their fucking dollars would have made them poorer over the course of time. Yeah, and that's but that is why rich people own assets. Right, but it's not mentioned in assets it's not like hey how much real estate does this dude own it's no, how it's, much dollars you know yeah and everyone's always like oh net worth and a lot of people are confused because of the media how they portray it and how politicians expect to tax people on things is they say well we you know this person is a billionaire in case anyone was wondering i'd be willing to bet that elon musk doesn't have a billion dollars worth of liquid cash sitting in a bank account somewhere no the majority of it if not literally all of it is tied up in his company tied up in tesla and spacex SpaceX and and Neuralink and boring company yeah and that is how he's valued it's assets that are contributing to it most people don't know assets minus liabilities equals equity no well yes net worth yeah it's another form of money. Not assets, liability, shareholders, equity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, you're right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but for common people, equity means money. Exactly. It, it, your, your money after all of your... Ownership. Uh, yeah, exactly. Basically. And so you can divide that out on your personal pie chart. You look at how much debt you have outstanding versus how much assets, including cash, and then you get how much you're worth. Exactly. Um, and that's why if you take a look at about... You know, 85% of people's net worth is actually tied up in real estate in America. So it's a it's a big part of protecting wealth, and rich people use it too. And, you know, there's a lot of conversations on that subject right now with low interest rates, and that gets into a whole other conversation. But there are plenty of mechanisms where people can participate in, on a smaller scale, creating wealth. But there's a ton of stuff trying to pull you in the other direction, like buying stuff. And oh, consuming yeah. stuff. And a lot of people who are on 
that end of convincing you or those people who are pulling you, they're directly benefiting from that in their form of ownership. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 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 and the game continues and the circle keeps going around. It's exactly. That's what it is. And, and that brings me to a, a quote that I, and I'm not one to like love quotes. It's not even a quote. It's actually, was a tweet. I love quotes. Um, I love you do. I love them and they're fine, but they're like, they gotta be just the right ones though. Yeah. Some of them are cheesy. And I'm like, get this out of here. All right. So don't fuck this up. All right. So Naval Ravikant. Oh you know yeah. Naval? Oh yeah. Yeah. So Naval is just, he's manual. a quote, he's a quote monster. Just a, just a beautiful mind. But um, he basically said last night on Twitter, it's easier to build a new financial system than it is to reform the existing one. And it's very obvious he's referring to Bitcoin and decentralized finance. Um, and it's a, very, it's a very simple statement, but I think it's something that we haven't really woken up to yet in the sense that I think w- we still have hope in 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 ourselves and in our country that this system can be fixed and maybe it can maybe and, i'm and, wrong and in the world too right because i don't mean to pick on our system like uh, many of them have the same flaws of course and um i just i don't know if there's a way to allow this to break down and if, if it if it makes sense to try and rebuild it or like and rebuild the trust you know, like, how do we know that we can do it unless we do it with something new, like with the technology and the capabilities of decentralized finance? All right, so Bitcoin. I'll give you an example, right? Our government's the biggest corporation, if you think about it like that. It's the biggest business. It's the baddest business on the block. It's the number one monopoly, right? Well, they participate in a lot of this structure uh, that you're talking about. Should we, you know rebuild it if it does fail or should you move to something else and i think natural evolution has said that many other businesses in their own arena had these same choices to be made some companies like tesla for instance they had the opportunity to start new and there was a lot of pain to get to being to the point where that new thing actually worked better than the old thing. And that's just my interpretation of the auto industry, what they've done and what they're going to, which is much bigger than just autos, right? Because they were thinking far into the future about what this new thing was going to evolve into. But what does that do in the natural course of evolution? Okay, it eventually eliminates the other situation. And so if you talk about that in a country and financial system, I think that something new has to be started, which already is. And I don't think that it's any one person's choice, right? I think it's like a collective evolution that happens. And so ultimately, I think it's from my perspective right now, it looks to be inevitable. It's just... How does that look in practical terms in the future with our government being integrated because we, or at least I believe, do they like still need to be involved? And I don't know what that looks like. So you just, there's a lot there. So I'm going to try and just go through a couple of points. You talk about the natural evolution and, you know, evolution is a very long 
process. Yeah. And you also mentioned Tesla, which underwent pain for a very long time. Yeah. Now, government and current leadership, if you want to call it that, it does not have the ability to think in long time spans. And you don't have the ability to knowingly go head first into battle or head first into pain. You don't have the ability as an elected official to do that. I'm not saying they should, even if they could, but they it would be a form of suicide if they did. Because you are once you're elected, you're only guaranteed four years. And anything that you do that doesn't make people happy essentially hurts your chances of getting another four years. Correct. But even in that sense, eight years may seem like a long time, but it's not if you're talking about systematic change yes. and real evolution. Evolution, from a biological standpoint, takes place over thousands of years. And just to put things into perspective, Tesla's been around for 17 years. Yeah. And 17. He, yeah. And no, no, most people didn't even know about it before Elon. R- right. 100%. And maybe even not even till this year when the sky, when the stock blew up. I mean, yeah, you might have like knew that you saw them, but you didn't know anything about the evolution and the pain that they've experienced in the past. Exactly. And many people probably still don't. Um, but I, I, that's just why I, I don't think that it takes place within our government necessarily or that. So you think that they have to adapt in order to integrate themselves? Yeah, because I think that. If if they want to participate, what has shown me uh, what 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 has opened my eyes over the last year between and it's been a pattern. And now what the things I'm about to say, anyone who's listening, try not to like get hooked on what I'm pointing at specifically because these are all controversial to some extent. Um, so just hold your horses and listen to what I'm saying, please. Um, there are very keen similarities between movements such as Black Lives Matter, Wall Street Bets, or even the Capitol Insurrection. Now, take the violent component out of it because that's the polarizing issue on the first and third items that I talked about. Take that out of it. Really what all three of those movements were standing for, regardless of whether or not you believe them, what they were all standing for is it's us versus them. And in most cases, the us outnumbered the them because authority was screwing someone over, whether it was police and the system surrounding the police or whether it was elected officials and you know, them meddling in the election. Now, whether or not you disagree with any of those things, beside the point, I do not want to get involved in that right now, but it is people who are frustrated. And I think, do you mind if I go on a tangent? Go. I think that what people fail to realize is we are all fighting for the same cause in that it is a lot easier for people to destroy themselves than it is to work together and it's a lot easier when you're in power to put in mechanisms in place that divide people and they destroy themselves from within and there's a lot of similarities between 
Donald Trump's MAGA movement, and believe it or not, things like, you know, Black Lives Matter or Wall Street bets, because these people are sick of being screwed over. And now, whether or not you believe that they've been screwed over for the topics that they're fighting about, they've been convinced that what they're fighting about is either race or their country or something polarizing of that nature. But once you really open your eyes, they aren't fighting for any of that. They're fighting because they got screwed over somewhere along the way. And chances are they got screwed over by the same group of people. They just haven't connected the dots yet. And I think that the only really like way to, to change is to come together. And Wall Street Bets is a the most recent and most perfect example. But all of these have kind of similarities of when a group of people put their minds to something, they can shut down the internet. They can shut down highways. They can shut down entire cities like i'm not saying you should do any of those things i'm not trying not trying to advocate or start like uh, any type of political debate but the fact is is people have power and they're just starting to realize that they have power in the physical world the digital world and the financial markets that is what our country was founded on and it is getting destroyed because of centralization and decentralization is the honest answer to this problem. So please, if you haven't done your research on what decentralization is and what Bitcoin actually stands for, you're not saying you have to go buy Bitcoin. I'm not telling you to do anything with your money. I'm telling you to read about it and think about it. Think about if you've been screwed over. Think about how this all plays in part and ask yourself next time you want to disagree with someone based on something, do I really disagree with them? And is what they think they're fighting for really what they're fighting for? Or are we on the same side? Because this division is intentional. Yep. It is. It's a fascinating connecting of the dots. And I don't even know that much more needs to be discussed on the topic. I almost want to ask you if you've made it this far to go ahead and rewind that last segment to maybe let it sink in as we kind of segued into that. And that was delivered in a pretty concise manner. And so for me, reading things or listening to things, just that one more time might be super helpful because the moral of this story from my perspective is that humans are beautiful and we all can work together and there are instances of proof of that, but it is also at the disadvantage to many. So the incentive is to divide and it is happening in front of our eyes that the division is successful and it is happening in front of our eyes that the collective agreement and the invisible handshake of trust actually is happening with people all over the world of all different races and all different problems. There's 10 million people or 7 million people on that forum and you cannot tell me just based on statistical probability that they all are from all different walks of life and that is pretty darn cool absolutely and i don't think we even need to say anymore i would say let's let that one marinate till next time sounds good thank you thank you <laughs>